church family, good to see you. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Help us to see Jesus today and be blown away by his beauty. Amen. So good morning once again, and it is always a good day whenever we gather. It's a good day because we have coffee, because we have donuts. Uh, It's a good day because we have the staff send-off and baptism. It's a good day because we get to peer into the heart of God and be blown away again by his goodness. Welcome to this place. I want to welcome you, especially if you're uh, new or visiting. Maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian. You're welcome in this place. And to get things going, I want to know, does anyone have a favorite president? A favorite president? Now, to to keep things tame, uh, let's talk about presidents at least 100 years ago. Okay, so we're talking about presidents at least 100 years ago uh, that comes to your mind. They're like, yeah, that person I really admire. That person I really like. Now, as you're thinking about that, did Lincoln come to anyone's mind? Would anyone say their favorite, one of their favorites is Lincoln? Yeah, yeah. We live in the land of Lincoln, and uh, my wife and I, our kids, we had a chance to visit D.C. And one of the greatest things we saw when we were there uh, was this. It was the Lincoln Memorial. It's just incredible. The, the scale of it is hard to comprehend if you're not there. It's huge. And I was considering some of the words that he said. If you've ever been there, you know that on the south side, etched in stone, is the Gettysburg Address. On the north side, etched in stone, was something I was not familiar with. There were the words from his speech from his second inauguration. And at this time, the country was war-torn. The Civil War was going on. And etched in stone there at the Lincoln Memorial, one of the reasons I love him, was a huge confession of faith. Look at what he says. And this is high flute language. Don't worry, I'll translate it for you later. Uh, But this is what he says. The Almighty, during the Civil War, has his own purposes. This is a Bible passage from Matthew. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? As I stood there and I read those words, in our current climate, my jaw almost dropped. Here was a man in the midst of a war-torn country. People were dying. People were at odds. And he says, basically, here's the layman's term translation, If God needs to do this to be just, let God be God, he'll still be good. He'll still be worthy of all our praise, all our admiration. Let God be God, even if he needs to get justice through this war. Now that is incredible faith. That is humility in a sovereign God, and one of the reasons I really enjoy Lincoln. But here's the thing about any person on a pedestal whether it be Lincoln or anyone else. It won't take you very long to figure out that though people are esteemed and well-liked, they are not perfect people and that they all have their flaws. Have you ever found this out? For you can also study about Lincoln that though he was a, a noble man, he struggled with depression and melancholy. That if you wanted to play the game you'd like to have lunch with, He might be distracted, maybe not very engaged. He wasn't always good in social settings because he was wrestling with demons on the inside. Maybe part of his background, his upbringing. But he had flaws. 
And that's true of any president that you pick. It won't take you long to find some flaws. And it is maybe true of, of current presidents, too. It won't take long to find flaws. But that's true of people. I don't mean to be political, but I do mean to make an observation over people. And here's the first point. It's kind of a dust statement, but we should call it out, that there is no perfect person, right? In fact, could you just turn to your neighbor and tell him you're not perfect? You're not perfect. You're not perfect. You're not perfect, right? And it kind of lets the air out. That's all right, isn't it? We're, we're kind of now all linked together. Hey, welcome to the club, right? Because I don't know if you've ever lived with insecurity. Like, I, I would like you to know bits of me, but not all of me. Have you ever lived with that insecurity? Um, I, I look really good from far away, but please don't get too close because then you'll figure out my flaws, right? And, and this whole discussion reminds me of the difference between infatuation and marriage. If you've ever been infatuated, like in grade school you had a crush or about a celebrity, what do you love about the person? You love the idea of that person. The idea you've created in your mind, the idea that the community has created, you don't know that person. I guarantee if you did get to know them, you'd know their flaws. Now what's marriage? Marriage is a good thing. Really good thing. I need to be careful here. But marriage is, is finding out, oh, wow, there's flaws in me. And, and, and still loving, and still loving despite the flaws that we are well aware of, right? And that's true of all people. You know, it's one of the reasons I love reading the Bible, because when you read about biblical characters, there is no one that stands on such high a pedestal that they can't fall from. There's no one that we can be completely enamored with all the time. In fact, I'm, I'm reading this book. It's called How to Ruin Your Life. So, sounds like a good topic, right? <laughs> Encouraging. Thanks, Pastor. But no, and it says, starting over when you do. And, and does anyone guess uh, who this book is about? It's about David. Uh, let me tell you about King David. King David was a man after God's own heart, a father of the faith, incredible man, wrote much of the Psalms, uh, someone we could admire for many, many things. But he had a scandal that was worse than any president. He committed adultery with a gal named Bathsheba, he tried to cover it up in a sordid way that I can't even detail. And because he couldn't cover it up because she was pregnant, he murdered him through war. This is David. Welcome to biblical characters. There is no one who can stand on that pedestal who has no flaws. And that's true today. But here's what I love about following God. See, in God, I can be fully known right now and also fully loved. That's how Torrin Wells put it. Have you heard that song? I am fully known completely. He sees it all. There's nothing I can hide anyway. And yet completely and fully loved. That love is for you today, whether you realize that or not. He sees you. He loves you. He loved you before you could love him. He's real. But what if, what if there was someone we could gaze at longer and walk with deeper and they didn't disappoint us, but rather they continued to blow us away. What if there was someone who, as I continued to get to know them, they, they just blew my socks off, they blew my mind because they're just magnificent. There's such a person. His name is Jesus. See, Jesus is the name, the person, the God-man that we build upon in this place. And that's why I love this series. See, we're going to get into Jesus in his own words. And, and this isn't what um, society says about Jesus. 
this isn't what your mama said about Jesus. This isn't what friends say about Jesus. This is Jesus talking about himself for us to get to know him by. The I am statements. And I think a couple things will happen as we get to know Jesus. Here are the two things that I think will happen during this series. Number one, we'll realize that only he is worthy of all praise and worship. See, See, the first commandment, if you know it, if you're a Christian, is you shall have no other gods. And what we realize in this life is that our kids might be great, but they surely are not worth all worship and praise. Our career might be good, but it surely should not be our highest and greatest pursuit. That only Jesus is worthy of that highest praise, that pedestal. But the other thing that will happen is that we will be transformed. In fact, that's what Paul said. In the book of Corinthians, this is what Paul said when we look at Jesus. I love this phrase. It says, but we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. See, at Amazing Love in this Christian community, we believe that life change is possible. But life change doesn't happen because we tried harder and we did more. Life change happens when we gaze longer and we walk deeper with the one called Jesus. He transforms us. And so if you're taking notes, here's another point. That the Spirit works on our imperfections as we gaze on Jesus' perfection. You know, this whole concept that kind of reminds me of a married couple. Do, do you know any married couples that have been married so long that they not only finish each other's phrases, know exactly what the other's thinking, but they even start looking alike? Do, do you know these? I was doing some research, and, and it can happen, right? You know, green's a great color for the day. Let's do the strappy thing, the sunglasses, right? You know, uh, time together can make you so familiar, it's hard to tell you apart, right? And whether or not that's your goal for marriage, that is the goal for this series. Uh, and, and here, not, not to look like our married partner, but to walk so deeply and get to know so much Jesus that people start saying, wow, you look a little bit different. You're a little bit changed. You look like Jesus. So let's get into it, all right? Uh, this whole series is from the book of John. And uh, a little about him He was part of Jesus' inner circle. He was not only part of the 12, but he was part of the intimate three that Jesus called by his side. And all of the I am statements are recorded by John. So so he must have gazed a long time at Jesus to record these unique phrases about the Savior. Today we get to hear, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm going to invite you to follow along with me. Could I have you just please stand? We do this every now and then. Just please stand. We do this in honor of the word of God. We do believe that God preserved his word today for us. Uh, It's really him speaking through these words. So we'll consider. It says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is evidence of the Trinity, by the way. There is one God, but he is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they work in cahoots, in tandem. 
The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Powerful words. Before you grab your seat, can you turn to the person next to you and tell them, there is no one more beautiful than Jesus. There is no one more beautiful than Jesus. You can grab your seat. Thank you so much. Let's have some fun in the word of God this morning. I'm always interested in learning on how to do life better. What about you? Always on the quest to, to have a little better life than I have right now. And new information came out uh, from the CEO of Twitter named Jack Dorsey on how you and I might live a little bit better. Here's a picture of Jack Dorsey. What he's being famous for right now is intermittent fasting. Has anyone heard of this practice, intermittent fasting? Let me describe what's going on. That you can either live in the fed state, that you're working off the, the fuel that you just ate, uh, for me, chicken sausage and egg whites, it's great. Or you can live in the fasted state. All the stored energy that you have, uh, namely the, the fat that we've stored up, you can live in that state if you wait for about 12 or 14 or 16 or 18 hours to eat. Two different things. And the reason that he's made the news is it's come out that Jack Dorsey's better way of life is eating one meal per day. In fact, more than that, he eats five meals per week. Now, that may or may not be a better way of living to you. It's not to me, but it's what works for him so fairly well. There's always some news on how to live better. Before this, it was the keto diet, Adkins, you know the thing. Or sometimes we hear of new technology that promises to make life better. Oh, recently I had a neighbor buy one of these. It's an amazing machine, friends. Game changer. Has anyone ever been in a Tesla? It is incredible. So he bought it and he says that he needs maintenance in four years. Yeah, yeah. And, and then when he goes for maintenance, they might need some brake fluids and that's it. It gets overnight updates that there's software inside that uh, he can wake up in the morning and have more horsepower, uh, more functionality with all the gadgets in, inside uh, just through an overnight update. It goes 0 to 60 in 4.6, which sucks your eyeballs back. It's kind of fun. I don't know why you need it, but it's fun. It has some self-driving features where you can just put crews, and it'll change lanes for you. It can also be fully automated in the future. It's crazy. Technology that could make your life better. It's maybe why we watch HGTV, because if there's a new design, maybe I can wake up in the morning and feel just a little bit better on my day because of the nice color patterns in the kitchen. We're on a quest to live life better, aren't we? But that's why I love being in this place. And that's why I love following Jesus. Because here's the reality of what I have found. That when it comes to Jesus, he says, I am the life. And what this means is that life is best with Jesus. This is something we know and we believe is that when it came to our earthly existence, that was the idea of his mind. He had us in his thought before we ever came to be. 
In John chapter 1, it says this about Jesus, that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. What I'm convinced of is the one who made life knows how best to live it. And if we watch Jesus, we learn some things about how to live. Let's look at Jesus' life. When we see Jesus, we see selflessness, don't we? We see someone who is all content in heaven, but left it all, came to earth. The creator God having need for an earthly mother. The author of life becoming an infant and becoming part of a peasant's family. We see selflessness. We see service. We see the king of kings, to whom every knee shall someday bow who got on a knee, picked up towels, and washed the stinky feet of his disciples to prove how to live. We see sacrifice. We know his life would culminate at the cross, where he would give his life, shed his blood for those he needed to help and those he loved. We see suffering. And so we who live in a sin-wrecked world are not thrown off when we too have a gloomy day, when we too have things that are not too perfect. And when we just gaze at Jesus, we change. We transform because of who he is. In fact, I do believe that George Washington was transformed. Do you know much about George Washington? Uh, what you need to know is that he was a Jesus follower. Uh, in fact, he was part of the leadership team of his church, his Anglican church, which they called the Vestrymen. During the Revolutionary War, it was uh, common that he would uh, visit the worship services by the military chaplains there. He made it his habit to gaze long at Jesus and walk deeply with him. And because of this, I believe, it's, it's my guess, but it's my belief that it led to one of his greatest acts. See, if you've ever been to D.C., immortalized throughout the Capitol is one singular act that he did. After the Revolutionary War, he, he changed uh, history. After the Revolutionary War, this is the picture, he had all the rights and all the power, the power of a dictator, the power of a monarch, and what he did is he gave the power back. When the war was over, he went to Congress, and this is what he said. Having now finished the work assigned to me, I retire from the great theater of action, and bidding an affectionate farewell to this august body, under whose orders I have so long acted, I here offer my commission, and take any leave of all employments of public life. And for me, this was otherworldly. Who, with all power, says, yeah, let's just give it back. It would have been easy for him to become the new monarch, the new dictator, uh, for us not to have democracy today. But because of this singular act, he gave power to the people that we still benefit from today. And what led him to do that? My conjecture, and it's a guess, is that he was looking at the king of kings who became selfless, who gave his whole life away so that others could benefit. But I don't have to conjecture about George Washington because in this life I've walked with people who must have been gazing at Jesus because they have reflected his glory. I've walked with the supples, both Phil and Courtney, who must gaze at Jesus a lot because we see his glory coming from them. 
We see Courtney who would come in late at night checking, triple checking the slides so that we could worship at our best and our finest in this place. We dreamed of a praise band and they know we didn't have a bass guitar or drums and so the first things they bought was a bass guitar and drums and I will never forget Phil playing with Noah in the pouch here rocking away at the drums at rehearsal because that's what needed to happen for the glory of God here. Phil and Courtney, you must have been gazing at Jesus because we saw him through you. Cheryl Krug, we saw Jesus through you. You are faithful. It didn't matter what we assigned you, and we assigned you a lot. We could talk about how the role changed, but you didn't let a detail drop, and you displayed to us what the faithfulness of God must be like. You displayed to us what hard work was all about as you owned whatever responsibility came your way. Thank you for reflecting God's glory to us. See, this is what happens when we gaze at Jesus. We start looking like him. And maybe it's why Jesus said later in this section, these incredible words. He said, you know, whoever believes in me, walks with me, looks at me, will do the works I've been doing and will do even greater things than these. And for us, it's probably not miracles. I haven't done those yet or neither has the staff and not raising the dead, but it is influence. It is showing the love of God. It is displaying this is what Jesus must be like and the world changes through his example. How awesome is that? Do you know anyone who radiates reflection of Jesus, the love of God? But as good as this is to do, can any of us claim perfection? You know, the reality is, as much as we want to be like Jesus, inside all of us is this spoiled brat, the spoiled brat who sits in the corner with his hands like this saying, but I don't want to. The spoiled brat that says, I want to do what I want to do, regardless of what people think, amen. And we all got it. We all have what's called a sinful nature that always wants to rebel, that always wants only what we want regardless, and it's the reason that unfortunately none of us are worthy of all worship. It's the reason that the only pedestal we give is to Jesus. And what Jesus was was perfect in all his ways. As the one who was the life, he lived perfectly. He was the spotless lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And this community is encouraged. We, we don't have to give that great example for our own salvation. Rather, through faith in Jesus, we already have his perfection credited to our account. That's our confidence. And it's the confidence you can have whether you consider yourself a Christian or not. So Jesus is the life. And now that I've preached on one point of who he is, this sermon's going to be about three hours long. But I need to get to two others. Two others. Two others. We need to talk about truth a little bit. The truth. Um, we live in a world that is built on absolute truths. Uh, for example, um, when it comes to going to the doctor, I don't want opinion. I want truth. Right? You want someone who has studied, who has diagnosed the body, who can tell you exactly what is going on. Uh, you want them to, to let you know whether you have flu, pink eye, or cancer. Right? And you don't want to come back, and I'm not against second referrals, that's not what I'm saying, but you don't want to come back and, and disagree and say, well, you know what, I think I'm fine regardless of what you said. No, we need absolute truths on how to use the body. 
Uh, that, that's true in banking, isn't it? If I get a bank statement that I don't agree with, I can't go into the bank and say, well, I actually think I'm a millionaire, uh, so if we can change that, you know, uh, they don't care. True in school. When a teacher assigns a C, uh, I can't debate with them and get an A, as much as children I'm sure have tried. A C is a C, and you earned it through your track record. Thank you very much. There is absolute truth. You know what I'm saying? But what's really interesting in our current culture is that there are certain absolute truths that have now become in question. One of those absolute truths is morality. You may know that we live in a culture that says, you do what you do, I do what I do, and as long as no one gets hurt, we're all goods, we're all evens. But the absolute truth is, if you break God's system up, end up with the word love, and you don't love, someone's going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt, someone else is going to get hurt, it doesn't work. There is absolute truth to morality when you don't love. That's real. And it's also true when it comes to religion. What's in question is absolute truth when it comes to religion. And people say, well, as long as you're sincere, you know, it just it doesn't matter. Pick a path. And I need to be gentle. I need to be respectful. But let's dig into that just a little bit. Let me tell you a story. In the Old Testament, there were two gods worshipped, the God of Israel and the God of Baal. At the time of Elijah, uh, they had this duel where they set up an altar and a sacrifice, and they were going to see which God was really God by praying to that God, and whoever answered by fire was God. So the prophets of Baal went first, and they sincerely believed and they sincerely prayed. They prayed and they danced, they even offered sacrifice, they shed their blood, and no fire. And then Elijah went, and he drenches everything with water which doesn't work well with fire. And after he prays, a fire comes down from the sky, burns up the sacrifice, licks up the water, even burns the stones of the altar so that everyone can see there is a God who answers. There is a God who does. Friends, I don't claim to represent every other form of religion. I don't think I should. But here's what I can tell you about following Jesus. He's the God who does. He's the God who does first, and then we respond. He is the God who has proved himself by what he has done for his people then, those great works he said, believe the works I have done, and the works he still does for his people, forgiving sins, working everything out for our good, assuring us with his presence. He is the God uh, evidenced by what he has done for us, not what we have to do. In fact, what we do is just a response to what he has done. And so the truth is this, that, that Jesus brings a truth we can trust in because of what he has already done. In fact, we see that throughout the Bible. We see his faithfulness. In our apologetics class, we saw uh, this picture, which was how the Bible references different promises and their fulfillment. The, these are all the cross references for what God spoke and then fulfilled, or, or the same speaking, all these cross references that came to be, that we even see in history. So that when Jesus comes, we know he was born in Bethlehem, as the Bible said, of a virgin, as the Bible said, and in the line of David and Abraham, as the Bible foretold, that he was crucified, as Isaiah told us, all of these things that happen. Jesus is true. One of the greatest experiences I had was visiting Israel after seminary and seeing 
where the cross was, seeing where they say they laid him, seeing where he carried his cross, seeing the Sea of Galilee and the town of Nazareth, and knowing all of these things are real. We believe in a God who acted first and follow from that out of thanksgiving. How awesome is this God? So he's the life, he's the truth, and finally he's the way. Let's finish with that thought. May I ask, when is the last time you've been homesick? Uh, maybe for you it was uh, being on a business trip and being away from the kids. Uh, maybe for you it was uh, going off to college, doing your own laundry, buying your own toilet paper. Seems like a waste of money, but you need it, right? Uh, for me, I recently had an opportunity to be homesick. Uh, our, our family was graced with a vacation in D.C., and it was awesome. Uh, but there were a couple nights that weren't so awesome. <laughs> we were staying in a hotel where the noise above us was the pitter-patter of little feet. And uh, we, we enjoy the, the pitter-patter of little feet. Uh, we enjoy it at usually most hours, but not at the hours between 1 and, and 5 a.m. That was not so enjoyable. And for two nights, um, and, and by the way, you forget what it's like to have an infant. Can I be real? I know there are some people who had infants and we had infants, but you forget what it's like uh, for them to be up all the time and pitter-pattering all night long, right? And as I was hearing the pitter-patter of little feet at 3 a.m., a thought came to me, I wish I were home. I wish I was in my own bed with our box fan. And I love children, <laughs> but not the pitter-patter of someone else's feet. That would be great. You ever felt that? I just want to be home. You know, that's an experience you can have as a Christian. In fact, our whole Christian life might leave us a little unsatisfied. It may even at times leave us lonely. And this can happen even if you're living in your dream home with your family around, um, with, with toddlers or not. It doesn't matter. Uh, we can still have a sense that there is something missing. You ever been there? Still lonely, even though you're at home. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about this. In one of his famous quotes, he said this. He said, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If you're at home but feel restless and you don't feel at home, the most probable explanation is that you're not home. And friends, I want to remind you of that again today. You're not home yet. And I, who just came home, am not home. Heaven is that home. See, before these words, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you home. And that's so helpful for me. It flavors my day. To remember, this is just a short stint. This is just a vacation, but I am going home. And you know how to go home? Jesus is the way. And what's so helpful is that Sometimes we miss people. And, and, and Courtney and Cheryl and, and Phil, I, I, would, I wish you all the best, but here's the truth. I'm going to miss you guys. You guys are awesome. It's been a joy walking beside you. The love that was shown, it's hard for my heart not to miss. In fact, uh, have you ever experienced that? Whether at a funeral or someone moves, and, and you know what it is for your heart to just hurt because you miss but here's the reality because of Christ Jesus. We might have had a short stint together on this vacation. We met up at this place called Frankfurt, but we live in the same home. 
And there for all of eternity, we're going to shout the praises of Jesus who has overcome. And there I will not feel restless. And there my heart won't hurt because we'll be home together with all that we love. This is the assurance of Jesus who is the way. So we say farewell for now, but not forever. And isn't Jesus awesome? Have you seen his beauty today? Well, I hope you can come back as we learn more and more about his beauty, as we are transformed, just gazing longer at Jesus. Come back for I Am the Resurrection next week. Amen.